Hello, my friend. Welcome to the podcast. And I am so excited for today's conversation. I have Stacey Lynn Harris with me today. And we are going to talk about something that I don't think we've ever talked about here on the Old Fashioned on Purpose podcast. We're going to get into hunting and wild game and what that has to do with an old-fashioned lifestyle or a hunting lifestyle. And I cannot think of a better person to have this conversation with. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you. I'm so excited. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here and just to see your 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 growth, your platform. Oh my gosh, it's just amazing. So you are remarkable to me for sure. Thank you. Thank you. As are you. And uh, so before we hit record, Stacey and I were talking about uh, homeschooling among other things and yeah. I've always marveled at you with your platform and seven children and homeschooling and all the things you do so I feel like we have a lot in common as far a as lot. having many irons in the fire a and lot so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many I think of you all the time and I'm like wow I don't even know how she's doing it because I don't think I do as much as you do and I'm, oh, I, I, I bet you do <laughs> I bet you're darn close <laughs> so um yes yes so this is going to be good so you are a hunter and you come from a hunting family. So, do, yeah. right. Yeah. Yes, so yes. give us a little background on just you and your family and how you got into hunting. Well, my dad hunted, but I really, I didn't really grow up with him, but he fished a lot too. And so he was an outdoorsman, um, really good with guns and all that kind of thing. Cause he was in Vietnam and, you know, just did uh, he, I think there's like five books written about him, but he's just a remarkable, you know, man. Um, but anyway, I married a hunter. And when I got married, I really just didn't care for hunting at all. And so I was like, this is just too much. I can't, I don't think I'll be able to take this. Um, but then all of a sudden it's like, a light bulb came on in my brain one day and just said, you better get on board and you need to stop bucking him and, you know, bend with him on this. And so I started cooking the wild game first before I started hunting any of it. And I just really got into the cooking of it and realized what a great meat it was. Because when I had had it before at different, you know, church events and all, it was like, why would anybody waste calories on this meat? And I figured out a couple of methods and a couple of things that I feel like, you know, will help people um, to really want to work with this meat. So it's a really, really fantastic. A wild game is really amazing. It's just a matter of cooking it right and aging it properly and, you know, a couple of things like that. So, yeah. Yes. And I love this. And so people ask often, like if Christian and I hunt and when I met Christian, he was, he was a hunter and we actually went on some hunting trips as wow. newlywed. Yeah, yeah. I've shot a couple antelope. That's the extent of my hunting. And he yeah. shot a couple deer. And then honestly, we got into growing our meat here on the homestead and we yes. ended up having so much in the freezers, you know, that we were like, we just don't have time to go hunt. So we love the idea of hunting. We've, yes. we love wild game. We've just kind of the homesteads kind of pushed that out yes. of the picture. Yes. But I, I think this is such a great option for those who maybe don't have the land or the space yes. to, to raise beef or pork or right. maybe even chicken. And they're looking right. for that sustainable source of meat that right. is local and um, isn't, you know, industrial farming. Yes. So what yes. are some of the benefits that you've seen and experienced from eating wild game? And why would someone who's maybe a homesteader, why would they need, would you recommend they look into this? Well, like you said, if they don't have the land that that, you know, you have to have, you know, to raise animals. Now we have some chickens too. And uh, raising old hens or, or cooking old hens is a lot like cooking wild turkey um, or cooking any of these older, these other kinds of, of, um, of foraging um, animals. But the benefits I have seen are just, I, I could list them for days, but hunting just in general, the benefits of that, um, you've got, family togetherness you've got uh, which is is incredible because we were just hunting all together all seven of us you know um or all nine of us along with a whole lot of people this weekend at a dove shoot um you've got working together you you're teaching your kids work ethic you're teaching them how to have skills outside of um of a business I mean you know being able to survive um I think that that's important and it gives confidence to them even if they never you know really use that the meat is good for you it's higher in um, omega fatty, uh, add, uh, omega three fatty acids. It's uh, it's just a, a whole healthier thing. Lower in cholesterol, uh, lower in calories, higher in protein. I mean, I could go on and on about how great the the meat is from these animals. They have lower fat. It's just a, a great alternative to uh, domesticated 
animals. But one benefit that I see from hunting is that it would allow like if, if, if families hunted and they relied on, you, you know, people like you to provide their meat for them or farmers that were doing that, they, the farmers could actually grow their meat slower. They wouldn't have the demand. It would, it would kind of even out domesticated farming and, um, and then wildlife. And not only that, but it's so good for the environment and conservation efforts. So, I mean, the benefits are just endless, you know, for hunters and fishermen. Absolutely. So what, would, what percentage would you say of your family's diet is, you know, farm mm -hmm. meats versus hunted meat? Well, for us, it's, I would say 85% of ours is, is wild. Oh. Um, yes, because I have, you know, the hunting laws are a little bit different here in Alabama and I forgot what the limit is for deer, but we usually end up with about 13 deer in the freezer every year. So we're going through uh, you know, that lasts us for the whole year until the next year. So it, whether that's deer or, you know, they're small game, you know, there's still squirrels and dove and quail and rabbit and pheasant and all of the other things. And then fish in the summertime going to the coast, we're close enough to the coast that we can go fish for snapper and, you know, and all that. So it's pretty amazing. We pretty much live a lot off of wild game, but I love a steak. I mean, I love a deer steak but I also love a beefsteak and I still like hamburger meat mixed in, you know, with my bolognese sauce with the pork. And we also hunt wild hogs. So we do have wild pork usually and um, the venison. So I like those three kinds of things mixed a lot in my sausages and in my, you know, deer uh, meat, the hamburger meat. So which you use, well, we'll get to that in a minute, but you know, which you would use for the bad, I say bad for, the more tough pieces of meat that you um, consume. Yes. So we've talked a little bit on the podcast in previous episodes about like the benefits of grass-fed beef or the differences with grass-fed beef. So would it be safe to say that like, this is going to be pretty comparable in terms comparable. of nutrients and all that? Yes. It's very, very comparable. Yes. Because they're foraging in, in the, the woods with berries and different things. And a lot of people will say that wild game is gamey. Um, and it isn't that it's gamey. It's that it tastes different than your, your domesticated animals because it's eating whatever is in season. Um, or whatever, you know, you plant for it, you know, we may plant wheat sometimes or, you know, we, we feed the animals um, as a whole, uh, as a whole diet as possible. They eat from our orchards, we don't really keep them from eating, um, you know, our pears and apples and, you know, the blackberries and pecans and all of those things that are out in the wild, they eat all of that. And so they're just super lean and they have the flavor of what they are, you know, what they're eating. Yes. Yeah. And I've, I've had some people say when they're trying grass-fed meats, like farm meat yes. for the first time, they'll yes. say, oh, it's gamey. And I'm like, yes. it's actually not, like you said, it's not gamey. It's, it's just, this is what meat is supposed to taste like when it's exactly. not fed uh, a grain yes. diet all its life. So yes. it's an interesting concept, I think. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And a lot of times it may be gamey if it's not aged right. There's other reasons right. for it. But if, if you're, you know, if you're aging it right and everything's going good and you're cooking it right and they still say it's gamey, it's just because it tastes different, but it really doesn't taste a whole lot different, you know, but it doesn't have the marbling, you know, it doesn't have, you know, there's just, it, it, it is going to taste different. It's a different animal, you know, turkey tastes Absolutely. different than beef. So it's just different. Yeah. So, so are you primarily hunting on your own land or are you going into public lands too? Cause I know, I know you mentioned your orchards and your fields. Yes, we, we pretty much um, do on our own lands. We hunt, we have our own property, but the thing is, which we were going to talk about, um, I think at least I was thinking I would talk about this a little bit, but if you don't have your own land, because that's really difficult for some people, um, and it depends on where you live, but there are national forests that allow hunting on those. And I think Theodore Roosevelt set that up and he was a big hunter, loved hunting. He said he wouldn't have chili without venison or his chili can corn without having venison in it. And the, truly chili is not the same to me without venison in it either. But, um, but you know, anyway, there's, there's those, there's public lands. Um, you may have 
had to pay like $15 or so to go hunting on them. And if you go, it, you're, you're spending, say that you are able to shoot a deer, you're getting that entire deer for $15. So it's, can be inexpensive it can be expensive if you have to buy your own land or if you know you go on a big huge hunt and it's a guided hunt and you're paying you know five thousand dollars or something it, it's it's different but usually those people are going on those hunts to get a really big um, trophy deer or whatever but when you're when you're doing this for food and sustainable living you you can you can do it for a lot less you can kill a bunch you could have you know kill squirrels and freeze them and keep them for your chili you you know, you can, it's, and squirrel season is a little bit longer than deer season, but the seasons are all, you know, they're all different in every state, but, you know, there are ways to do it that are not expensive and you don't have to have your own property. Yes, absolutely. And that's when we were antelope hunting specifically, um, somehow Christian got to know a rancher a couple hours away. Yes. And so he had a huge property. So we would, you'd go check in at the ranch house every time you'd get there and you sign a little paper and let him know you were there. And that worked out great. And he was happy yeah. to have people coming in to harvest the animals. Um, yes. So it was a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. A totally win-win. And, and some people too, they'll pay you to come kill their hogs because we have a terrible hog infestation um, on our land. We had it last year. So then when you go for turkey season, they get all into the turkey eggs and they eat their eggs. And so the population of turkeys has really decreased and declined because of that. And it's, it's a terrible thing. So, you know, if there's too many hogs, I don't want to eradicate yes. the hog, but right. if there's right. too many, but that's what so we're here for, yes. you know, and, and I, to take dominion of the earth and we manage it. We are smart people. We can manage the wildlife. So, and that's what we're here to do. And the only way, you know, hunters are the ones that know if things are overpopulated, underpopulated, if you're not seeing any quail, which happened, you know, not too long ago and quail is back on the rise again, but they were pretty much near extinction and hunters have brought all kinds of things back from extinction. So it's, it's really, you know, people like PETA and, and all against the hunters, the hunters have the same um, ideas as PETA. It's just that they don't want you to kill anything and the fact of the matter is, if you don't manage it properly, they're not going to have any food because they're going to be overpopulated or all of the, the, the pigs are going to overpopulate everything and they kill out the deer too, the new fawns. So you have to manage it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I, I would say far and above the hunters that I know, I mean, there's always the bad eggs in the, yes. in the basket, but yes. there is so conscious of that. I think people, if you've never lived in a rural area or never been around a hunting culture, like they have a different perception, but yes. most hunters are so respectful and so careful. You know, they're so mindful of seasons and permits and making sure that it's not over harvested. Yes. And I think it's, it's really a beautiful relationship. Cause like you said, if we don't manage those, it's not like this beautiful Bambi free for all butterflies and rainbows. It actually gets very right. detrimental very quickly. Right. And they get diseases, you yeah. know, just like when you put a bunch of people together um, and just pack them in they're going to get diseases. And that is what happens when you have overpopulation. So, you know, you're, you're taking into your hands, the health you care about the wildlife. It's not that you don't care about it. You, you care, you cherish it, you protect it, you, you feed it and then it feeds you. And then you feed it, you know, then you take care of the offspring of, of you know, it, it's just the circle of life with the animal kingdom, you know, with yes. us involved. So, yeah. They're there for us to, you know, to manage and, and to eat. So, um, you know, and they're very, very good. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Good okay. Stuff. I just have to go on a little rabbit trail for a minute. I am really curious about the wild hogs because we do not have those in Wyoming. I have never been oh, around wild hogs. Like are they, I know they're, can they, they're pretty mean, right? Are they mean? Are they like dangerous? If oh my gosh. I wish I had a picture here to show everybody. They are they are very mean. They can run over 35 miles per hour. You should see their little feet. It's like you can't even see their feet. It's, it's, they're just going so fast. And um, it, they, 
destroy your property. You plant green fields, they, they dig it all up. You should, you just should see it. You'll go and you think it's just all beautiful. The next week you go and it's just completely damaged. Now I'm not saying that wild hogs are terrible because we eat their loins and, you know, we, we, you know, well, we eat the ribs, we eat the whole thing and it, it's great meat. Um, but they populate so fast and be glad that you don't have them. And the problem is, I think they were reintroduced to Alabama. Um, and they bring when they like I read somewhere today I was looking up something because I wanted to cover something on the podcast but I couldn't find enough documentation for it but when I was looking online I noticed that um that the pigs um or that people were bringing wolves and all of these things, trying to bring them into locations. And I mean, I'm not against that because I don't want them to die out or anything, but do we really want to do that? You know, do we really right. want to bring, you know, do, would you want somebody to bring wild hogs onto your property? Um, it's gonna, it destroys the cattle. Like the guy that's next to us at our property, he owns a big cattle farm. And so he's got just tons and tons of cows. He sells them, you know, he has these big events every year, but he, they ended up coming in and, and, and killing like, I don't know, 300 in one weekend, um, you know, off of the property surrounding all of us and, because they can't keep their business going with all these mm. wild hogs. So, you know, it's very detrimental to cattle farmers and to any kind of farmer. Um, and if, if they're not kept in check, if there's kept in check, you're not going to have that big of a problem but you know they'll they go in packs and and they can you know take down a a, a big huge cow that is or a deer or whatever that's stuck in the mud if it's been like a real rainy season and the the, the, the cow can't get out I mean it's it's um it's not a pretty sight so yeah, yeah they're pretty bad mm -hmm. mean creatures and I think one of my boys um killed one last year that was like 600 pounds I mean oh you should I'm going to send you a picture when we get That's off of here. It, it is huge. And I don't usually put dead things on the internet. And I, so I didn't put that on the internet, but people would be very interested in seeing it, but they, they were, he was standing next to it. It was taller. It was, it was like a dinosaur. It was so, it was huge. So yeah, they'll, yeah. they'll take you out. That just blows my mind. Like it's just so different than what we, than what we have here. I do know like people underestimate like pigs are omnivores and so like we assume pigs are the happy little corn eating farm animal but I've heard stories of even with domesticated pigs like hog farmers who fall down in the pen and then they don't find the oh, hog farmer for, for a very you know like those so I can see the wild ones being that <laughs> much <terrible>. more <laughs> aggressive so so everyone listening to this podcast I hope you are enjoying the mental pictures we're giving you so <laughs> well yeah. last year yeah. one you know when they they hunted um the the cattle farmers hunted with the dogs um I don't understand what they were doing but anyway they went out there and, and one of their dogs they killed the dog instantly because you know they had those big tusks and yeah. so the dog you know got up there and was chasing it it just killed it I mean it didn't take but just a second so you know they are they're they're mighty mean. I'll just, I'll yeah. just say that. I'm, I don't want to meet one in the dark when you're sure. walking woods from deer hunting. It is spooky and you can hear them. And so you're like, oh, this is, this is crazy. This is so scary. I cannot wait to get out of these woods. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Ah, so crazy. Um, yeah. I'd like to see one someday. I just would like to, to see one in real life because, you know, just different. Yeah. We have oh, occasional mountain lion in Wyoming and we have uh, coyotes and some parts of Wyoming have wolves, but no pigs. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, you need yeah. to come to Alabama. We'll, we'll to show you some wild hogs. I need, I need a tour. Yes. So, yes. okay. So back up, back on track here. I had to just take our pig, pig tangent. Um, <laughs> so let's say someone is wanting to get st started hunting, mm -hmm. you know, maybe they have their little homestead they're wanting to add yeah. into their production efforts, but they yeah. don't have family members who do it. This is like a whole new thing. Yes. How can they get started? So one great thing, I was thinking about this the other day, I was actually talking to Scott about it last night. And it, he said, really, somebody needs a mentor. But the thing is, we have YouTube and we have, we have the ability to watch people hunt, you know, I mean, you know, I, I their shows on the outdoor channel, and, you know, they go over all of this kind of stuff. But having a mentor or somebody that even that you could talk to on the phone, that could kind of tell you some things about hunting is probably the best thing to have. But you just need to get your license. You need to get a gun. 
shotgun is the most well-rounded gun. If, you know, a lot of people don't, um, they don't have guns. They don't have a need for them, but a shotgun will, you know, you can harvest, you can harvest big animals, deer, bison, antelope. You can, uh, and uh, to small animals, squirrels and, and dove and all of that. Um, or, or, and you could get a rifle, but a rifle is not going to, you know, you're not going to want to shoot um, a bird with a rifle, but you know, a rifle would be good. So a gun, a license, um, a mentor, you know, some land, which, you know, a public land or, or get, you know, somehow get close to some hunter that you like and get invited um, to their place, but um, to, you know, some land and, um, and just some kitchen equipment if you want to cook it, but really you don't need probably anything that you don't have. So it's really, you know, not too hard. There is a class safety, I mean, a safety class that usually each state will have you go through. And Scott went through it and he got a lifetime license, but he went through it anyway with my sons. Um, but I think they require it here. So I'm thinking that they might require it everywhere. So, and if we have big hunts on our property, we'll, um, you know, do kind of a, a, an overview of a safety type lesson each time, you know, too, but that's it. I mean, that's all it takes to get started. It's just not a big thing. You know, if you're going to go out there and shoot deer, you're going to probably want to know what position the deer needs to be in. But there's so many things that will show you that. And it's like, um, if you're, you usually want to have the side view of the deer and you're going to want to shoot right behind the, um, the first, you know, the, um, the, the leg, you know, up in the front and kind of angle it in where it's going to go towards the heart. Now, my dad, he likes to shoot, I don't know, I guess he doesn't want to ruin the meat, but he likes to shoot their, their head, which I don't, you know, I don't know about, shot. That. but yeah, or the other, the other thing, if you want a longer hunting season, you could use a bow. So, um, you know, that they, they get to hunt a little bit longer than people that do with shotguns and stuff, but you know, you'd have to practice an awful lot and they have to be really close. There's a lot of things to learn when you're, when, when you're bow hunting, but, um, but that, if you want to challenge that's another thing. And to get your kids into that too, you know, that's really fun. And to be able to go out and to shoot bow, you know, to shoot arrows, you know, into a target and, you know, all that, that's family time. They're learning something. Um, they're learning something they can actually use. And hunting is a lifetime thing. It's not like football or gymnastics. I was in gymnastics and, you know, I've been stretching lately, but I'm not like, I'm not doing, you know, back handsprings or anything. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a lifelong thing that you can take throughout life. It's not something that you have to stop when you get older. I so, love that. It, yeah. You know, yeah. And it contributes to the family or contributes to your neighbors or, you know, something that you can do that contributes to other people. Mm -hmm. And there's just, there is something so elemental and rewarding, whether yes. uh, in procuring your food, whether you're doing it through a hunt or you're doing it through a homestead. Um, I just to see people light up the first time they experience that is just really neat because yes. it's, it's something, you know, it's built into us as humans. We're supposed to have a hand in that. I firmly believe not just always buying things at the grocery store. I still buy things at the grocery store, but it like, I think too. having yeah. that firsthand experience is just really a powerful thing. It is. It totally is. And the kids are like, well, why, you know, <laughs> they'll, we'll go to the store and they'll be like, I don't think dad's going to be very happy that we're buying bell peppers. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I need one because I'm doing a recipe for something, but it's not in summertime and, you know, and I don't have any, you know, I don't have them and, you know, and, and so it's like, I'm doing it for a book or I'm doing it for something to really need it. Normally we do eat very seasonal, but there are times that, you know, I go off, I guess, off grid from off grid um, yep. to get what I need to get it done. But, you know, but yeah, but the kids know, they know what seasons bring they know that you get cabbage and you know kale and all of the things during the winter and in the summer at least here and in the summer you know you're going to get your tomatoes and corn and peas and you know and all that's put up in the freezer and they know the seasons they know things that I think every person should know mm -hmm. so I, I couldn't agree more. I think the seasonal eating, like, like you, we don't do it perfectly. We try to respect that. You know, I definitely am not buying strawberries in December and, right. and things like that. There are exceptions where, you know, even when our cow is dried up and I'm like, well, technically I'm, I'm going to enjoy the lesser milk season, but I kind of need a gallon of milk for this recipe or this yeah, thing. You feel so bad. You kind of, uh, you, we fudge and it's okay. That's part of, you know, yeah, the hybrid. Eggs, you know, we've, we've yeah, got but, chickens and Scott's just like, okay, we're going to have to do something about these chickens because they're not laying. And so I'm like, no, they'll lay, they'll lay. 
<laughs> so, yep. you know, yeah, it's, it's, and you know, well, we've got to make a pound cake and we need the chickens and they're, you know, not producing. So, um, but for the most part here in Alabama, our chickens pretty much produce a, a lot. Um, you know, they'll go to through times that they don't, but, um, but they, you know, there's so much warmth and, you know, the days, I guess, seem longer anyway, when it's clear, I don't know, but yeah. You know, we I think the warmth does have something to do with it. I know ours will even like we have pullets right now and they're, they've been laying through the winter, uh, yes. but it, we had a cold snap and they were like, mm -mm, we're done. We're, we're, we're not laying today. So I don't, I guess I don't blame them, but um, the egg famine seasons are always a challenge. Yes, they buy the eggs at the store? Do I just wait yes. it out? Exactly. Exactly. And, and the ones, the thing is like at Christmas time, the ones that are at the store, they peel easier because they're ancient. I mean, you know, they're so old. And so, you know, they, they peel better. And if I'm making the um, deviled eggs, I need them to look good. And so um, I'm going to eventually come up with a, a, a way that my, my fresh ones peel better. So Ooh. if you have, yeah, tell I me have about an idea. that. The, okay. You can either steam them in like a steamer basket. Okay. Or if you have an instant pot, they like three minutes in the instant pot, they will peel beautifully. Okay. I'm going to try that. I yeah. am going to try that. I need that. I need that yes. in my life. It is. So, yeah. a game That's so good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to do that for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So speaking of seasons, what, what does your year look like? Like with a game that you and your family hunt and how those seasons kind of flow into one another. So well, you're, probably, you're doing multiple species. And besides you're, you know, you're in Wyoming and, and I'm in Alabama, um, but it looks a lot like yours probably, except for, you know, we hunt, but, um, and you do too. I mean, so you, you know about that, but we'll start like say in September, um, the opening for like squirrel and dove and, uh, you know, it, and deer is coming up. We will plant fields and in the afternoon or whenever, and we'll dove shoot in, you know, or we'll dove shoot in the afternoons, plant fields in the morning or whatever we want to do um, that way or go squirrel hunting or, you know, rabbit hunting or whatever. But they open up around that time. During the summer, we've been, you know, co doing cover crop and, you know, really trying to get our fields in order, making sure our orchards are good. We, we've been prepping for the whole entire from like usually March or April, May, May, all the way to September we will be preparing the fields we'll you know be making sure our orchards are good we'll um you know be feeding the animals you know with oat and you know different things that we're growing and you know getting everything ready to get our green fields ready and then in august we'll start really getting the green fields ready and um and start planting what we want for them on the green field when hunting season starts in October for deer. So um so right around in September all the way through April we are hunting. So turkey season starts in, um, we'll, we'll have deer season end at the end of January. And then Scott and I actually got married in February in between seasons because he had to hunt. <laughs> of course, yes. so, um, Yeah, so in between seasons. And so um, March through April, we there'll be turkey hunting and then we start the process all over and then we have gardens too so we'll plant our garden and we'll start planting seeds and all that kind of thing right you know February late February here because we can start our gardens pretty early here mm -hmm. in Alabama and we can get two seasons out of our gardens if we want to so yeah because we can replant and it stays it stays warm really um, all the way through October. So, you know, you can have, you can have two seasons, which is really great. And if you have a greenhouse, which I don't, and I want one, um, but if you have a greenhouse, you can get by with even more. So that's pretty much what it looks like. So we're either preparing for hunting or we're actually hunting and hog season. There is no hog season. It's like they're free game all year. Oh. So, yeah. So anytime you have a break, you know, um, come see us and we'll let you go hog hunting. Go get some hogs. Okay. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing to hunt? Um, well, last year I would have said, I would have said deer, but you know, I am thinking I'm really loving dove right now. I mean, I'm, ha but it's just, you know, we've been in that season. So, um, it's just been fun. It's such a challenge you have to take into account, and even with deer hunting and all of that, you, you have to take into account the direction of the wind, how fast it's going, um, you know, 
just all of like, is it a bluebird day or the, are they flying higher? There's so much to take into account um, when you're dove hunting and it's just such a challenge. Scott would say deer for sure. He, that he is passionate about deer hunting. And we had a dove shoot last week and he was like, I think I'm going to go deer hunting while everybody's at the dove shoot. And so <laughs> I was like, he didn't, he stayed with the group, but that his first, you know, his first thought was, I, I really want to go, you know, hunt deer. And he doesn't like to miss even one day. And I've been taking more like wildlife photography pictures more than I've been hunting because the boys get enough deer, you know, that I feel like we get enough. Um, and so I don't really have to hunt. And when the babies were little, I didn't go hunting because he loved it so much and I didn't really, you know, I, whatever, um, you know, and I, I just really enjoyed, you know, cooking it, but I, somebody's got to stay with the babies. So, yep. and we were having them every two years or so. So, you know, there's always a newborn that needed to be nursed. It is hard to take a baby hunting. I, yes. I <laughs> I've seen it done. And Scott, we would, we he took, did you take yours hunting? I did. We took it. I mean, antelope hunting is a little different because it's on flat open ground with no trees. And so it's really driving around till you see them far away and then kind of walking yeah. up to them. And so it's, you can have the baby in the car and it wasn't like I'm out packing the baby in the woods. That would have been hardcore. I'm not quite that hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be done. You probably wouldn't get anything because it would be loud, but they would learn because I think babies can learn, you know, how to be quiet. I don't, I'm not saying little, little tiny newborn, but you know, as they get older, they know what's going on. So, and, and the sooner you get them in the woods, all of my kids love to hunt. I thought, oh gosh, how is this going to work when we're doing all kinds of different activities all over the place? But all of my kids like to hunt. And I believe it's because Scott enjoyed it so much. He was happy when he was hunting. And I think children are drawn to what excites you as adults and so they want to do it too and then they got involved in it and he took them hunting from the time they were three probably you know for the rest of the time so it's Love been it. it's been amazing it's been like such a gift you know to our family it is so cool a legacy too it is, you know, and I hope that they'll do that with their families but you know I don't know what the the wives I actually have one married um, and she's awesome. She's not a hunter. She doesn't just love it, but he's been coming, you know, still some, and she comes with them and, you know, out to the farm and just kind of hangs out. Um, but it, it's really, really a great way to keep your family, um, together and coming to the same place. So, um, you know, all the time. So you can meet up there and enjoy the outdoors. And that's the other thing too. Kids need to be outdoors, which I know that you're a big, huge proponent Absolutely. of. They yes. totally yeah. need to be outdoors. And that's one great way to get them outdoors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Outdoors with a purpose too. I think that yes. always helps. It can work yes. exciting. Yeah. Just like old fashioned with a purpose. Totally. Totally. <laughs> I uh, love it. So let's shift gears to cooking a little bit. Cause I love talking cooking. So yes, there, what are some of the challenges, you know, when we're, when we're comparing wild game versus domesticated animals, what do people need to keep in mind with that? Well, okay. So we talked about that a little bit, the domesticated animals, they, they usually have some kind of marbling and, um, you know, to some degree, there's like a dispersed fat within the, you know, your meat. Well, with domesticated animals, whether it be a turkey, bird, I mean, a, you know, deer, bison, whatever, they don't have that unless they're raised, unless they're farm raised. Now there's a lot of farm raised bison. Um, you can go online if you're interested in cooking wild game and you can order it. And those are farm raised and they're, they're going to give you the flavor that, um, that, a, a a, a venison would have, but it's going to be more like your um, organic beef, uh, your free range beef, you know, it's going to be kind of like that. So, um, but the challenges are to keep it from tasting gamey and tough. And so all of that starts in the field when you are harvesting the deer. Now you all have the ability to hang your deer like out. I mean, for like, right. oh, okay. Does it get too, it gets warm there? Yeah. And that's why we stopped butchering our own beef on our homestead. Cause we wanted to hang it for an extended period of time. Oh, you wouldn't, so I don't think you hang deer quite that long potentially, but, um, we'll know. get cold. Oh, yeah. We get cold and then we get super like 50 degrees and then we get, and it just wasn't consistent enough. So how long would you hang a deer ideally? Um, well, you could do it for two weeks. Um, you know, and so it's not, it's, you know, I, we leave ours, we go ahead and butcher ours because like right now, 
I think we're having a cold day. I think uh, I went outside to lift weights for a minute before we did the podcast <laughs> and um and it was cool but it was like maybe 50 but this is a cold day for us oh. so um this weekend it was like 68 or something I mean you know like and and so you have to get it on ice as soon as that th- we we sh- we um, stripped that thing, you know, of all of its meat um, and put it on ice immediately. And then we come home and I have this um, bin that I have that I've created that has holes in the bottom of it. So it's two plastic bins and the bottom one doesn't have holes in it. The one that I put in it does. And then I place a cookie rack or a, um, you know, cooling rack inside that. And then I put my meat around it so the air circulates in the refrigerator and it's still not optimal because your optimal temperatures um are between 31 and 37 i believe degrees and it's not that's not really always the temperature of refrigerator but we do that and we leave it in there for seven days but if i had the optimal temperature place i would do it for two weeks because you need that meat to denature and you need it to break down and there's several ways to do it and the way that i'm talking about is dry aging it in the refrigerator. Um, and then we'll pack it really tight, make sure no air gets to it. And it'll last, you know, for two years. Um, you know, I, I, they probably, I, w- I don't know if I would write that down on a, um, a blog or something, but, you know, pretty much, you know, it will. And then I'll get it out and I lay it out when it's, th- after it's thawed, I'll put it on the counter after it's thawed and I'll let a fan blow and that c- that dries it out so that it cooks better so that you'll get more browning and, and, you know, and all of that. And then there's the wet aging where you can go ahead and pack it and, you know, cryovac it as soon as you get it, you know, done, um, or as soon as you you're ready to pack it up and then you put it in the freezer and then this is what I think the grocery stores do and then they pull it out and as it thaws then it sits there for several weeks as it you know um, denatures and and breaks down so you know there's just two methods to doing that Um, but if you age it properly you're going to have tender meat now there are some tough cuts but knowing what to do with those tough cuts is an important thing so if you can if you know what to do with them then you're good and then there's the tender cuts which people may tend to overcook you need to have them rare and a lot of people worry about rare they're like oh blood's running out of that but if you let it rest which you you know you know um, but if you let it rest you're not going to have all the juices running out everywhere so people just need to let it rest and you know they'll be they'll be good to go so really aging it prepare, you know, making sure that in the field you're preparing it, you're keeping it, um, you know, cold and you're not letting it go bad, but you're allowing it to age, then, you know, your, your meat is just ready and prepped and ready for you to cook with. And then you just have to match the method of cooking with the cut of meat that it is. Yes. Really that sim- similar to beef. Like you have your, your yes. braising cuts and your yes. cuts and your steak. Yes. Cuts. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and then with your tougher cuts, if you don't want to grind it or make sausage out of it, you know, you can marinate it or you can you dry age it. And I like to use coffee and ginger in my dry ages, um, you know, recipes because they have a lot of acid and that acid is going to pull out the hydrogen and leave in the oxygen. And then the lactic acid is going to be, you know, is going to occur in the meat and then you've got this broken down you know denatured piece of meat that's going to be nice and tender for you and really super flavorful so um you know using acid and and you do that with a with a uh, a brine or um you know or uh marinade anyway you know too yes. so I, I know with the beef um it the aging makes such a huge difference I know it's the same like you said the same with the venison and and those it just like when when we first butchered we didn't know any better our very first steer we butchered here on the homestead like 12 years ago we didn't have the right temperatures outside so we were just like it'll be fine we'll just wrap it and (laughs) freeze it and I mean we (laughs) ate it but it was so tough so yeah you know we now have ours done in a packing house because that's what you have to do to ship it legally but they age for 21 days and it makes a huge difference. So oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's considerable. So just so I may try to understand what your process is for the dry aging you, um, if, if you aren't able to hang it in its entirety outside or in a cooler, you would cut it into smaller like, chunks, put it in your bins 
yes. with the, the holes and then so draining yeah. liquid out. Yes. Put it in the fridge for a week ish. Yes. Yes. And then you wrap your do your your vacuum sealing or your wrapping and put it in the freezer. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And write the date on it and you're good to go. I also like to keep it um keep it whole in its form so that you have more versatility. Now I will go ahead and usually since we get 13 deer, um, I will go ahead and use one whole deer and except for the loins, you know, you just can't, you know, you can't yeah. grind those. It's just no. you know, like a cardinal sin, but it, but grind pretty much the whole thing. And then I've got packs of, of meat so that I can, you know, make spaghetti or, you know, whatever, or, or I may make sausage, you know, at the same time, use half of it to make sausage. And so I've got sausage in there. So it's super um, versatile. If you are able to just keep it whole, like if you're only able to get one or two, because some some states you're you have to draw a tag and you're only allowed to shoot one or whatever and if you're gonna do that I recommend keeping like your um some people call it a football roast um and it's a tough piece of meat but I still I still say keep it whole because you can still cut it in pieces across the grain and you can marinate it um, for several days and you can then cut it across the grain again after you brown it and it still comes out really great and you can use it on like, you know, for fajitas or on top of a spaghetti or in a sandwich and stuff like that. So there is just so versatile, even if they're tougher cuts, you can create tender, flavorful meat out of the tougher cuts. It's just a matter of knowing how to do it. And it's not that hard. It's just different than you would do beef. I mean, it's just different. Yeah. It's the same thing as like, you know, people think I know how to cook chicken, but if they went to go get one of those roosters and they tried to cook that chicken the same way they cook regular chicken or, you know, your, um, your, uh, what do you call them? Um, your cooking hens or cooking chickens or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. You're yeah. like your, your, your age tens that you're. Yes. Yep. Then, you know, they're going to, they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, what is this? I mean, you know, because I, I I did that one time and then I was like, this is like rubber. And I thought, okay, what would older people do back a long time ago? They would just keep that thing on the low and slow. And that's the other thing. People put their deer meat in a um a slow cooker, a, a, a crock pot. And I hate to, you know, belittle that, but I love crock pots. I really do. But it doesn't go low enough. The temperature does not go low enough. Okay. And usually, you know, you might have 250 at the lowest on a crock pot, but when you are, when you are doing low and slow and you're braising, it needs to be at 131, you know, and maybe a little bit maybe, a, you know, to, you know, 157 or something. So somewhere in that range so that it will be succulent and moist and draw out, you know, you get that, um, oh gosh, the, what is it called? When the tendons break down, you get this really good flavor that you cannot replicate no matter what you do, you can't replicate it. So it's worth it just for the stock. So you know, to cook the, not the venison that way, but to cook the chickens and in your wild turkeys, even, you know, it, it's really, really good. So um, it's just different. It's just different pieces of meat, different, you know, um, different animals. You just have to treat differently. You just can't, you, you have, you can't do them exactly the same way. Or, or people are going to be like, well, I hate, I hate deer meat, you know, or, you know, I don't want, I, I don't like quail. It's tough. Well, it isn't. It's just, it wasn't created. It wasn't made right. Right. And so with your birds, are you letting those kind of chill? Like when we butcher our, our meat birds, we put them in ice bath for a while and then we let them sit for a little while. And then ideally if I can let them go overnight in a cooler, I will. Is that similar with your, your wild turkeys and your quail and your dove and stuff like that? Yes. And you don't, we don't really age them. Um, but we do um, try to keep them chilled, you know, for a little while before we put them in the freezer. So it's kind of an aging process, but you know, not so much. It's not as big of a deal, um, right, right. you know, for those. So um, it, that is really to me about the cooking technique um, of being able to, you know, give the right braise or the right, um, the right brine you know, or whatever, and brining it for long enough, because you need longer, you know, for a tougher animal. Mm -hmm. So that would be another, you know, another thought. So, uh, and, and I will brine them in a cooler with ice, in, you know, so it, because it, it's a lot of times with these big birds, you don't have room in your refrigerators. If you don't have like a walk-in 
refrigerator and, you know, and all that, like we're kind of prepared more for that. But I think the regular, um, you know, hobby homesteader and, you know, they're not like relying on that for everything. They don't have enough room for what we're talking about a lot of times. So you had to break it. I think they need to break it down or use a cooler, um, you know, for that. So, and I brine my turkeys like that for Thanksgiving because I, I, I usually make at least two, you know, big ones. So yes. um, whether they be domesticated or wild, depending on, you know, what kind of year we had with turkeys. The branding makes such a huge difference with the birds. I think it just is the best. Like I can hardly, I won't even cook a turkey these days without a yes. nice brine. It just, oh, so good. Yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say some of your homemade breads would be great with um, this bourguignon that I, I make um, that from venison and, you know, with the wine and the acid and you're cooking it and all of that. And to have some of the homemade breads like you're doing. Oh, oh so, so good. good. So yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned cr uh, crock pots are a little, maybe not for all the cuts, but some of the cuts that are too hot when yes. you want to go low and slow. So, you know, you want to probably a good Dutch oven with a lid and you mentioned a cooler for some of the chilling or the yes. brining, any yes. other equipment that you would recommend that people invest in for the kitchen if they're getting into wild. Yes. Food? And ultimately, I, you know, I've thought I had a guy one time on a um, radio show asked me, do you think you could make it out um, in the wild, you know, for a week or something like that? And I was like, yeah, I could. And so, um, and so he was like, okay, so what kind of kitchen equipment would you take with you? So I answered that question. It was pretty simple. I would take my skillet my um, cast iron skillet, I would take twine, um, you know, so that I could, you know, stuff it with, you know, like if I made an acorn paste or something, you know, out in the woods and, and I found some like lemongrass or some, uh, you know, purslane or something and I, you know, put it all together and then I could wrap it up and, and, you know, just um, sear the outside and then cut it and man, I'd be eating like queen. Oh, anyway, so, you know, something like that. So a twine, um, a good knife, great knife. Um, I like Wistoff, you know, for the most part, they stay pretty sharp. Um, and then I think they have a, I think this is the company that you can send them and they'll sharpen them for life. I, I'm not sure I could be wrong about that. Um, then, you know, your, your cutting board and um, trying to think what else, I think that's about it. I mean, you can just about do anything as long as you can start a fire and you have a cast iron skillet and maybe a pair of tongs, you know, to turn it, but you know, you could use your hand, no big deal. And, um, you know, and then your twine, you know, you're good to go. Or if you, if you get birds and you could stuff a bird or, you know, you, you could debone the bird and just, you know, pan fry it or, you know, catch a fish, bring it on shore and, you know, use your skillet, you know, for that. And you could cook it right over the coals, but I would rather not have the ashes in my mind. I've seen it done on TV, but, yep. um, <laughs> think I want to do that so um you know so really that's about it I mean but in oh a Dutch oven Dutch oven would be yes. very helpful um and you could get that way you know if you were stuck in the woods I know we're talking survival here not homesteading but if you were to be out you know you could get your water clean and then use that water and braise your 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 meat and then you'd have fallen apart meat and add you know whatever you know you got to it but you could do that but in your kitchen same thing you know, I would say the exact same thing. So twine, and I just thought it'd be interesting, just throw that out there. But all of those things, you know, you have your Dutch oven and some spices. Um, and I, I, you know, grow those, you know, but thyme and basil and, you know, um, oregano and all of those things and parsley, you, you, you can just do so much with all of that. So um, really that's about it. It's pretty simple. I love it. Yeah. I like just staying. Yeah. The basics really let the food shine. I think there's so many kitchen yes. gadgets. I mean, I do have an instant pot. That's about as gadgety as I get. I have a crock pot, but you know, every holiday season, they come out with the latest gadget and I'm like, you guys just, we just don't need that. It's just the basics, the good knives and a Dutch oven and a skillet. And there's so much you can do with that. It yes. saves you so much money, not buying all the electronic stuff. And it just, it makes the best food. So. I know. And where do you put all that stuff? I'm having trouble with that. Now I do have a roaster oven that I really love because you could travel with it, but it's, um, it's pretty big. It's about like that big and it's pretty deep. So I could make a whole lot of corn chowder or something and yeah. I could take it to a big event. Um, I really love that. But other than that, I don't, 
I don't think, you know, that really I need anything else. I, I don't use my slow cooker as much as I should. Part of it though, is because since we have a family of nine and I have most people coming home, you know, coming home a lot, it doesn't, I'd have to have four crock pots. So you even with my Dutch yet. ovens, I mean, I've got four going, you know, on the stove or, you know, two big ones, you know, going every time I make something. For sure. But, yeah. You know, what about you? I mean, are you the same way? And as your kids get older, I mean, it, you're going to, they're going to eat more. Yeah. I mean, I don't have as many mouths to feed as you, but definitely I've, there's been multiple times we've had gatherings where I'm like, this, my crock pot's not going to cut it. So I have, I have a roaster oven as well for when we do our big, like our brandings or things like that. And I need to do a bunch of beef roasts or a bunch of chili. Um, yes. But yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I would say I'm kind of like you, I do use my slow cooker. I don't use it every week. I just, yes. it's more, I, I would prefer the Dutch oven or those yeah. sort of other more basic cooking methods when I am able to sometimes right. I'll use a slow cooker. It's a nice fallback item, but well, and the slow cooker too. the, if you get one that you can, you can use on the stove and you can go ahead and brown everything, you know, and then, and then put stuff in it. That's great. But if you're going to have to mess up a pot by browning the meat and then putting it into the other, I don't have time for that. And, and the crock pot is supposed to be saving me time. Exactly. So, you know, it's like, I just want to dump stuff into a crock pot. And, you know, and then I find that it's just not as good as, you know, if you did the Dutch oven and, and really it's the same thing. I mean, yes. you know, if you're at home, if you're out, if you're working outside the home or something, then yes, the crock pot would be a miracle thing. So, totally. yeah. you know, it'd be great. Yeah, I agree though. The browning. Yeah. And then you lose the brown, the bits of all the goodness on the bottom yes. of the pan you brown yes. in, it stays there and, yes. uh, and it goes in the, the other stuff goes in the crock pot and it dries. Yeah. So yes. pet peeve yes. there. <laughs> <laughs> for real yeah oh Stacy, this was an excellent conversation we covered a lot of grounds um where can people find you to catch up with what you're doing you have some amazing books where, just kind of give us the rundown of where to find you well, you can go to stacylynharris.com and subscribe to my newsletter, y'all. I would love for you to subscribe. I, I send out a newsletter weekly or, or whenever I post a new recipe or, you know, post a new tip from, you know, homesteading around here um, or homeschooling. I, I'm going to be starting to do that soon. And hopefully we'll have a book out soon for y'all to read the people that are homeschooling. Um, and my books are on Amazon, but I also sell them on my website. I sign the ones on my website. I, you know, would love for you to get a signed book and you know give it a get, get one and give one away and I think mine's cheaper than what it is on Amazon so um you know you can buy from there or Amazon it doesn't really matter or wherever you can find the book um and all my social media is at Stacey Lynn Harris so check me out on Instagram um I do my daily stuff on there and show kind of what I'm doing and uh I do a lot of videos on Facebook so check that out and YouTube so those are my three main main places and Pinterest. So um, yeah, and you can find all of those links on the website if you go down to the bottom of the homepage and you can click on them and find me really easy. So um, yeah, I hope y'all will get some books and, and, and join me and, you know, and, and ask me anything you want to ask me. I get my emails and I check them regularly. So I'll be glad to, to give you any information if you need some. I love it. So yes. And we'll drop you all those links in the show notes as well. So you guys can click through there. Okay. Um, I can attest Stacy's books are beautiful and just a really fun person to follow. So you'll enjoy getting to know her better over on Instagram or wherever. So thank you again, Stacy. I really appreciate your time and I feel like I learned a lot. So this was a blast. Well, thank you. You are so awesome. So I've learned a lot just talking to you. <laughs>